Welcome to episode 20 of Green Minds Think Alike. Fittingly, the the uh, first podcast of 2020. This week I was joined by Katrina Locke of Volusia County. Uh, Katrina and her uh, counterparts offered a race and equity training in Deland, Florida this week. So I, this is a little bit of a different podcast in that Katrina is giving a little bit of background on um, the grant that they had received that helped to put together this training for the community, as well as talk a little bit more about what that grant entails for Volusia County. Just to give you a little bit more information, if, if you recall back to a podcast we had with Maggie Ullman, um, Maggie was able to bring uh, funders, primarily Candida and the Kresge Foundation, uh, to offer funding to communities in the Southeast to t- to try to promote uh, ideas um, that could spawn based upon the context of the Southeast. So if you want to get some further information, please go back and listen to that that podcast with Maggie. Um, but I'll give a brief introduction here uh, to Katrina before she, she explains a little bit more about her project. And, and then at the end, I may give a little bit further information in regards to um, the actual content of that training. So... Um, Katrina was able to bring uh, the Government Alliance on Race and Equity um, to Volusia County in such a way to both identify the issues of race and equity within um, Volusia County, primarily the Spring Hill community, which is um, was named by a former governor as one of the poorest communities within uh, the state of Florida, but also how race and equity play a role in resilience, and uh, primarily in this case dealing with issues of, of stormwater. So you'll hear a little bit more from Katrina here in regards to um, how they went about applying for this grant, what they hope to do with this grant um, as they look forward, and how the this training that uh, we were we undertook this week um, plays a part. So without further delay, here is Katrina. submitted a grant in year one and then we improved our application and submitted in, in round uh, you know for round two and was successful in that application and a lot of that was really working with um, Sharitha and in the community and learning a bit more about the community before we submitted that second application so what did we do um, so we knew that there were flooding issues in the community historically and um, we also if you want to give some demographics about the community that would be wonderful just Okay, so the Spring Hill community is a community that's um, it's diverse in that it's um, part county, parts you know unincorporated, um, and so there's like whose responsibility is it? City, county, you know, one resident here can be city, the neighbor can be county across the street, and so that's what we have, and so it's been a community that's pretty much under service. And so uh, myself, I work for, um, let's say the CRA. And so this was a wonderful opportunity when Katrina came to me. It's just what we needed to do to ignite the community again. Um, It's a community that uh, pretty much um, had lost its hope. Um, There wasn't a lot of uh, money that came through Spring Hill to get some things done. 
uh, when I started, and we're still facing some of those issues with uh, flooding, uh, sewer, the lack of um, connection to the city's uh, sewer system just because there are no connection uh, points there. And so those are things we're still struggling with. Um, as a result of this, um, Spring Hill is also a community. I was just sharing with um, Mr. Chris here, uh, sitting right in front of me, that I uh, don't recall the year, but uh, back in when former Governor Jeb Bush was in office, uh, he deemed Spring Hill to be one of the poorest communities in the state of Florida. And so that was a big plus. Uh, there was a lot of work that went into the Spring Hill area to get us where we are now. Um, and so I won't take you through all of the process because it's, it's long, but that's just a brief history of what Spring Hill. <coughs> and at the community center. Okay, so let me tell you about the Spring Hill Community Center. The Spring Hill Community Center is a resource where we connect residents with the services that they need. So we have over 200 services that we either provide or act as a referral service. We have partners that we work with. If we don't provide the service, such as Terran Corcus with the Florida Department of Health, um, we partner with all kinds of organizations to bring the services. My role is I'm always assessing the communities based on the clients who come in, things I hear within the community, what the needs are. And then I try to bring those needs to the community so that the community have access to it. Many of our residents don't even know how to access many things. So something as simple as getting your mail and reading it and understand what it's saying to you and what's the next step to take, you know, you'd be surprised. So. Sometimes we are their ears, sometimes we are their eyes. And so having said that, that's where the trust factor come in because there has to be uh, trust in Spring Hill. And so you lose that trust, then you lose the, the community. So I'll pause right there. Yeah, and you can, you can add in as we go. Um, so I think that was really important for us to learn as well. So this, this funding allowed us to go into the community and do a number of different projects within the community that looked at making the community more resilient. So the mayor just mentioned about resiliency. So the idea that you know you have flooding in this community, so how can we long-term reduce the impacts of those, that, those issues of flooding? Um, how can we long-term look at ways in which the community can become more resilient from a job perspective? So are there things that they want to do or need to do in that community um, to find work? And that was one thing that we were able to do through um, Shilretha and the work that's been done by the city and the Stetson University is to identify that one of the things that the community is interested in is, is work in green industries, so landscaping type of, of, of work and associated. So um, that tied in really nicely to resiliency and looking at ways in which we could show the community different ways they could plant or do landscaping projects that made those properties, whether it's an individual property or a larger development, more resilient. So you know, how do you, um, so we're talking about green infrastructure now, so how do you capture that stormwater that occurs on site and deal with that stormwater on site rather than flooding a neighborhood or, you know, so managing the stormwater in an area. So we had a few different pieces of this grant that we were able to do. One was to provide something called Green Industries Best Management Practices Training. So if you're putting fertilizer out commercially, you need to go through that training in Florida and we were able to provide that training and give people um, a, a 
call what we're allowed to call it. This is where this is some of the barriers that we'll probably talk about later. Is you know, so we were able to give them a gift card for attending the training. So we have to be very careful about what we call it. It's a workshop. We're not. It's not labour. They're attending a workshop. So we provided a, a, a gift card for attending that for their time. And I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so we had some folks take the training in person. We had an instructor, and then we recognised that that could be done differently. And we, so we did it in, at the Spring Hill Resource Centre. Provided computers and let people do it in their own time which was a difference, right? And, and access to computers is often a hard thing too. So in addition to that, we have some um, green industries, um, so green infrastructure workshops coming up that we're working with partners on providing for the community and two planting projects within the community that will be used as demonstration projects for um, green infrastructure planting in the Spring Hill Park and then hopefully the resource center. Additionally, so I'll keep going, uh, we're also looking at an academy. So we've kind of, we've been doing academies differently in, in the county where we provide um, education around stormwater issues and, and water quality, mainly focusing on water quality, both for the Indian River Lagoon and the St. John's. This one we're changing a little bit. So it's more of a resiliency academy. Um, and so the idea in the first one will be to talk about resilience, but also talk about jobs and entrepreneurism and ways in which people can find different types of uh, niches um, within the, the job fields um, to, you know, to, to create their own businesses. So this is a little bit different too. Um, and then we're hoping that from that academy, so our second academy will be more focused on just water and resiliency. And then we're hoping from that academy we'll get some folks who are interested in being the Spring Hill uh, resiliency team. So we're hoping long term that that's what comes from the academy. And also a big part of this academy too is to provide people with a way of sharing their voice, sharing their issues, sharing their opinions. Um, sort of uh, advocacy part of what we do. So not telling them what to advocate for, but showing them some ways in which they can advocate for their issues and feel more comfortable. Whether it's, you know, and it's a bit daunting standing up there in front of county council or city commission and, and you know, talking. Um, so that might not be the way they want to, to move forward. But maybe it's writing an email, maybe it's making a phone call. So different ways in which people want to advocate for their issues. And then some community meetings. Um, and we also, over the summer, which you're going to hear more about lunchtime, worked with the Boys and Girls Club on an education program for the students, um, which Megan Martin over there, <laughs> hand up Meg, was worked diligently with the students from the, the Spring Hill Boys and Girls Club on um, educating them around the environment and really some fun activities and getting them out and about in the community because, you know, often it's, it's, it's great to say we have access to all these different sites like the Marine Science Center and Lyonia Environmental Center and different parks, but if you don't have transportation or the money to get there, or you know, your parents are working and or your um, um, folks are working and can't take you there, then, then this is a great way to work with the Boys and Girls Club and, and get these, these students to see some pieces and parts of the community that they wouldn't normally see. One thing that this grant funding did, which we don't normally get to do, uh, working for government, which is a little bit harder when using government money, is it allowed us, as I mentioned, to pay folks for their time. This is a big thing in communities like this, in that you know, if you're asking me to come to a workshop, and it's the difference between putting food on the table or paying a bill, then I'm probably gonna go to work, right? Or I'm gonna do what I need to do to support my family. So this allows us to provide folks with some funding to attend those workshops, attend those training classes, and do some other um, things around uh, you know, the resiliency and, and the, the community. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, go. Okay, so uh, as a result of this funding, we were able to uh, piggybacking off of uh, what Katrina just stated. But one of the things we identified were 
and we were already working on it was um, those with criminal backgrounds, um, you know, not having the ability to successfully uh, find employment. So I was on a mission. And so the wonderful thing is that we were able to uh, fund a job fair uh, that would sort of um, still, you know, around uh, the uh, GI, the, the green infrastructure, uh, that would allow them uh, employers to come in and actually interview and, and include, be inclusive with those who had criminal backgrounds. So uh, we did have some, some good outcomes with it. We had one success story where uh, a gentleman uh, came and um, he actually, um, one of the bigger companies, larger companies here, which is uh, uh, Sykes, um, he went in for just a, a basic telecommunication uh, position and he ended up getting a job making $80,000 a year, something he wasn't looking for as opposed to a $10 hourly job. So we had uh, probably three success stories, so, and we're looking again to do it again this year. So, and, and the one thing we did, we did something that was really unconventional, which was we added it to a festival. So we actually had a job fair at a festival. And yeah, so it was wonderful. And, it's, and it really was amazing for us to be a part of that because you really get to feel the spirit of the community. You know, there was definitely a, an amazing vibe all day at that fair, at the festival. Um, you know, just really great community spirit. So it was good to be part of that. And I thank our HR folks for being a part of that. Um, Tammy and Chandra were there um, that day. So thank you both for being there and for the city as well. And uh, Mike, you were there and some of your folks were there too. And I know um, many other departments and areas in the, in the county and city were, were present at that job fair. So thank you all if you were there. <laughs> and that's so with that, we are going to end because I know we're going to talk. So I want to thank uh, Katrina and her counterparts there in Volusia County for offering the opportunity for uh, myself and Vanessa in Winter Park, as well as our counterparts in Orange County to attend um, that day's events there in DeLand. Um, just to give you a little bit more information in regards to the, the training we went through that day, um, Shauna Davey, Juan Serrano, and Leo Obias from Race Forward and the Government Alliance on Race Equity were the facilitators for the day. Um, they, they started out by sort of giving everyone an opportunity to come to grips with how they personally have dealt with their interactions with, with race and what race means, um, sort of by interviewing oneself, um, and then also getting an understanding as how uh, we've come to this point within our um, society here in the United States as, as it relates to, to race and inequities um, with, within the United States. Um, this was portrayed um, through a film uh, from PBS, The House We Live In. Um, it also reminded me a lot of the information that I, I was able to pick up through reading the book, The Color of Law, by Richard Rothstein um, that was referenced um, by Adrian Marie Brown, as you may remember um, from our annual uh, USDN meeting in Detroit. 
um, it, it, that if you have not read, have you if you have not read that book, I would uh, highly recommend uh, reading *The Color of Law* to get a sense as to how the federal government and um, after World War II and the way they set up the mortgage system and federal housing um, really led to segregation uh, within the United States or, or further widen that gap um, in regards to equity issues uh, with, within the United States. So getting a better understand historically of the context of, of how we ended up where we are today as it relates to those issues um, and then just getting an, an understanding and of of the different types of equity and um, racial um, biases that are there. Um, some are, uh, they give a graph of, of kind of four different types. There's institutional explicit um, and institutional implicit. So those that are, are fairly um, obvious would be an explicit, whereas an implicit, you, you have to dig a little bit further um, to, to have a better understanding. So an institutional one would have been something like um, water fountains identified as colored only or, or white only um, today. And an institutional implicit may be something like holding a um, community meeting at a time that's difficult for those that, that need child care or that might be on an hourly job uh, to be able to attend. So something that's not as explicit um, as, as a sign would be. Um, and then that can also translate down to the individual levels, both explicit and implicitly. Um, so having an, an understanding of, of what that is, um, and then starting to look at how we can close the gaps um, and improve outcomes um, through that. So uh, we used a variety; they used a variety of of def- different mechanisms to sort of bring home different points. So there was um, questions and answers amongst the group. Um, some interviewing one-on-one with, with other individuals, um, and then panel discussions at the end. Um, I really found this really beneficial, especially after um, having read, read the book, The, the Color of Law, um, and, and I'm hoping to bring this um, you know, to my jurisdiction and in, in training with our, our senior staff, as well as looking at how we potentially could both in our policies as well as in our administration try to eliminate um, the issues that, that might be of um, causing issues of equity with within our community. So um, I, again, I, I I can't reference enough. Um, taking a look at that at that book, uh, um, another commissioner within uh, Volusia County also recommended reading America's Original Sin by Jim Wallace. Um, that speaks about white privilege. So that will probably be on my future reading list here. Um, but again, I, I wanted to thank uh, Katrina and the folks at, at Volusia County uh, for, for sharing this opportunity. And hopefully we'll have some further updates uh, with Katrina more on a one-on-one basis as they uh, finish up the grant. So um, on to the next episode. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.